Hey, New Life Church, Bronson Duke here. Thanks for listening in. The heart of our church is that you would know Jesus, that you would walk with Jesus, and you would learn how to live like he lived. We hope that this message equips you and empowers you on your journey walking with Jesus. Church, would you stand for the reading of the word? We will be reading from Colossians 1, 6 through 15. Or sorry, 2, 6 through 15, my bad. <laughs> so then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. You may be seated. I always wanted to say that. Uh, well, good morning. As I said, uh, I have to start by honoring your pastors, Bronson and Callie. Um, they've had quite a couple of weeks. I don't know if all, the, if all of you know what they've been through, but it's been a challenging couple of weeks for their family. But what I would say that I know to be true of them is that even when things are hard in their home and if they're battling sickness or whatever they're going through, I can assure you they're thinking about you. They're praying for you and that they're getting up every day on mission to make sure that you are equipped to be able to walk out your calling. And so I just want you to know that I'm thankful for your pastors and the way that they lead and the way that they love you and the way that they love their family. So let's give your pastors a hand. I'm incredibly thankful for them. As Bronson said, my name is Aaron Cruzy, and my wife Angela and I, we, uh, we actually moved to Arkansas for New Life Church back in 2009. So this church, for us, when we came, we didn't know anyone. We knew one family. We didn't have family here. And so we just came in faith, believing this was where God had called us to plant. Um, when we moved here, we were newlyweds, and we were both still in school. So we had nothing, and we knew nothing. We were just getting started. And fast forward, and all of a sudden we look up, and now we've been married over 15 years. And we have four kids, nine and under. Uh, our oldest just turned nine yesterday. His name is Malachi Jameson. And then our middle son, our, our Augustine, is our second born, Augustine Jax. And then our little girl, Evelyn Justice, is four. And then Obadiah Arden is two. Um, Obadiah, yes. And then we are actually expecting a fifth. So another little boy which we are very excited about. We're actually doing December, and so uh, we are thrilled about that. That's Mr. Obadiah. He is full of life. Um, so I would ask that you pray for us. Seriously. It's a wild ride at our house, as you can imagine. Um, but I, I really do. I love 
so many of the dynamics of having a big family. I didn't grow up in a big family, but there is so much that happens in the midst of, of a group of people doing life together that you can't manufacture. There's so many moments that happen of coaching and discipline and discipleship and training that just happen organically because of the nature of having more kids. And so I love personally the relationship that my older boys have. They, uh, they laugh together. They share life together. They encourage each other. They fight just like any other boys do. Um, but so often when I put them to bed at night after we've prayed with them, I'll hear them up there for 15 minutes or 20 minutes telling stories about their day, laughing about their day, and just sharing their experience. And so I love that dynamic. And then I'm really excited, too, because now Obadiah, who's two, will also have a little brother that's similar in age, a couple years apart. And so we're just excited about that. Uh, and trust me, I know some of you are thinking, well, what about the little girl? What about Evelyn in the middle? Like, will she be able to hang? You don't need to worry about her at all. <laughs> that girl, she's tough enough for all of them. On Memorial Day this year, I got up. It was early. I was just spending some time with the Lord, getting some things done. I thought everybody was sleeping. And out of nowhere, I didn't even know she was up. But I hear her in her room at the top of her lungs singing this song. And I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. I'm like, I don't even know where she's heard that song. She's up there and I won't forget the man who died and gave that. I mean, she went through the whole thing. I'm like, this is incredible. I don't even think she knows it's Memorial Day, but it was the right song for the right moment. Um, but like I said, she'll be just fine. So you're going to hear some stories about her today. Um, but we are grateful for our family. And, and honestly, we're really grateful for this church. Because for us, our church has become our family. Uh, my family lives 15 hours away. Angela's family lives 10 hours away. And so for us, the church has become our community, has become the people that rally to us when we have a kid or rally to us when we have a kid in the hospital or something's going on. Really, the church for us is family. Uh, but I love how you all have been taking the time to really dig into the book of Colossians. Uh, it takes some courage to go line by line to, through a book of the Bible because you can't skip things, right? There's some things you get to and you're like, oh, that's uncomfortable. Or, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. But when you say, hey, we're going to go through this line by line and verse by verse, it forces you to lean into God's word and to say, God, what are you speaking to me? What do you have for me in this text? And so I'm really excited to jump into Colossians 2, 6 through 15. This is, these are 10 verses that I believe if you wrap your heart around them, they'll change the way you live. They'll change the way you parent your kids, the way that you interact with your coworkers. Um, so I'm going to take a minute. We'll pray. And then we're going to study these 10 verses. God, we love you. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the way that it, it really does mold us and change us from the inside out. God, would you give us ears to hear today what you're speaking? I pray that we wouldn't just read your word, but it would read us. And it would move things in our hearts. So Lord, we trust you and we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't, I don't know what stood out to you. So as, as we just had the public reading of Scripture, which I love that you all do that here, I don't know what verse jumped off the page to you, but for me, when I was studying this passage, one of the verses that just, I mean, it was almost like it came off the paper. And it was this. It says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. You guys, it's nothing short of a miracle that someone can go from being completely dead and in bondage to sin to being made alive in Christ. Like, we should just get excited this morning just the fact that that's possible. Because, listen, we've all been there. Whether we were in bondage to one sin or another, we've known what it felt like to feel helpless and hopeless, right? And so the fact that the Word promises, hey, this is even possible, should get us excited this morning to study God's Word and say, okay, how, does, how do we do that? What does it look like to walk that out? 
which means we have to go back to the beginning. We have to go back to verse 6 and start at the beginning of our passage. And it says this at the very beginning, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. Before we can go deeper into this passage, before we can go deeper into maturity, we have to look at this question of surrender. We have to start with this concept of surrender. So consider this. To declare bankruptcy, what do you have to admit? You have to admit that you're broke, that there's no money there. To be admitted to a hospital, you have to acknowledge what? That you're sick, that something's not right in your body. To get government assistance, you have to admit that there's an area of financial need. There's an area where you need support. And to go to heaven, you have to admit that you are dead in your sins, that you are a sinner and that you have eternal separation from God apart from Christ. And so in order for the rest of this time in Scripture to make sense, we have to be in a place where we understand that the first step is surrender. The first step is acknowledging Jesus as both Savior and Lord. And my hope is that if you have not done that, that if you're sitting in this place and that's not a step you've taken, that throughout the course of our time together, that the Spirit would be drawing you, that he would be helping you realize your need for salvation, your need to surrender your life to Christ. Because the truth is, all the wisdom in the world, all the best ideas in the world, even if they're based on Scripture, if they're not empowered by the Holy Spirit in you to bring change, they won't amount to anything. They'll just be knowledge. They'll just be high and lofty ideas, which we're going to talk about today. And so I just want to make sure that we start with that idea of surrender. But then the scriptures go on to say that once the surrender has taken place, we are to continue to live our lives in him. And it's so cool. If you read this in the ESV for verse 6, it says that we are to walk in him. And this word walk is actually a pretty familiar New Testament term. Several times throughout the New Testament, the original word for walk is used, and that, that word is peripateo, peripateo. And this denotes the believer's daily conduct. And so to walk in Christ is actually to live in union with him and then to foster a life patterned after his, as Bronson talked about earlier. Like our goal is to model the rhythms of our life after the pattern that Jesus lived for us, that this example that he set. And so we're not just challenged to, to live a heavenly list of do's and don'ts, right? We're invited to study God's word to learn it, than to connect with the Holy Spirit in a way that allows us to understand how Jesus walked and then how we are called to follow in his footsteps as people that are in relationship with him. You see, we all, we all have a normal daily conduct, right? Each one of us, we have a rhythm, things that we, we do every day whether we think about them or not. Whether you're an individual, whether you're a family, like we each have rhythms, things that we install that are normal. I would say our family has rhythms, but it's also wild and crazy. Sometimes they get blown up, right? When you have little kids, very rarely do things go as planned. Anyone can relate. Like, when you got little kids, things happen. And before I tell you about some of our family rhythms, I have to give you a disclaimer that our world is crazy and that we are still doing, we have a long ways to go with training our kids uh, on who God is. So at dinner the other night, this story is going to prove that we have a long way to go. Uh, at dinner the other night, Angela was sharing her God moment for the day. So one of the things we do at dinner is we talk about a few things. It's just teaching our kids to have conversation around things that matter. And so we talk about a high from the day, something that was good. We talk about a low from the day to teach them to share things that are hard. We talk about a kind thing that they did, something that they did throughout the day that was kind. And then we talk about a thankful thing, something they're thankful for. There's always something to be thankful for. And then we talk about a God moment. So Angela was sharing her God moment. And she was sharing about how that day she had been reading in Acts about how Peter had had his vision 
And God was showing him that not only can the Jews be made right with God, but Gentiles can be as well. And so she was just sharing with our kids how thankful she was that God made a way for us as Gentiles to be made right with God. So my four-year-old, my little girl, Evelyn, she, she then proceeds to ask the question, well, what is a Gentile? Which is a very good question, because without context, that would be very confusing for a four-year-old little brain. Uh, to which uh, Angela explained, took, she kind of took out the word and said, okay, here, here's what a Jew is, here's a Gentile. So Evie nods and listens, and then she proceeds to say, well, that means I'm a, I'm a Jew. I'm Jewish then. Angela goes, no, you're not Jewish. I promise, you're, you're a Gentile. And I kind of talked her through that, and she pretty much ignored everything I said, which happens pretty often with Evelyn, unfortunately. Uh, and so then at that point, she said, no, I am, I am Jewish because I do bad things. I said, sweetie, that doesn't make you Jewish. That makes you a sinner, <laughs> just like the rest of us. But I can assure you, you're not a Jew. Uh, I can trace our family line back. That's not us. But like I said, we certainly try to teach our, our family and our kids about the things of God. But how often do we get off the mark? And so it's this constant teaching, constant instruction, constant training. Um, and for us, one of our family's rhythms that uh, Bronson mentioned is the evening catechism. And I'm so thankful for it because for us, even when the day has gone crazy, even when it seems like everything's off kilter and nothing is honoring God in our home, uh, that catechism brings us back to truth. And so every night we take 10 or 15 minutes, it's not long, and we do these questions. And, and so each of our kids are at a different stage of the questions, and, and we ask them as a call and response format. And lately, as I've been asking my second-born, Augustine, his questions, we've been all, they've been all about the Ten Commandments. We're in the section on the Ten Commandments, and one of the questions that he's given is, what is the third commandment? And the answer is supposed to be, the third commandment is, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless, he who takes his name in vain. And so that's the answer. And normally he aces this one. Uh, but sometimes Augustine is a second born. I don't know how, how many of you have a second born, but he likes to be a comedian. He wants to see if he can get a rise out of me. And so sometimes what he will say instead is the third commandment is you shall not pass. So for those of you that have seen Lord of the Rings, you'll know that's kind of an important moment in Lord of the Rings. So he will just say, you and then he'll always look at me like, did you hear me? <laughs> I said, you shall not pass. I didn't say the other thing. And so for us, it's, it's funny because each evening, it brings us back to center and it brings us back to what's true. And the cool thing is what God's word promises is that when we begin to craft these rhythms in our families and in our personal lives around the things of God, it says that we will do these things. It says we will become rooted. We will become built up in him. It says we will be strengthened in our faith. And it says that we will find ourselves overflowing with thankfulness. Like, these are good promises. When we build our lives on Jesus, these are the things that flow out of it. And I have to take a moment and talk about this idea of overflowing with thankfulness. Because I know that for us, that can be a challenge. So what I'd love for you to do is take just a moment right now, and I want you to think about the last calendar week. So think about last Sunday, right now, 10.06, all the way till this Sunday at 10.06. And I want you to give yourself a rating of how you would rate your thankfulness over the last week, with one being not thankful at all and 10 being overflowing with thankfulness. So think about your last week. Where would you put yourself on that scale from one to 10? My hope would be that all of us would say that our thankfulness has been overflowing, as this word talks about. But I would venture to say that for some of us, that's probably not the case. And I can assure you, for my children, it's definitely not the case. It was not a 10 over the last week. Uh, because why? Entitlement can creep in on all of us, right? 
hey, I deserve this, or this is what life is supposed to look like, or why didn't it happen this way, or why, why did he get that and I didn't, right? It creeps in on all of us, not just my six-year-old, right? And so recently I was telling Augustine at dinner that I had a secret for him, and uh, I asked him to guess what the secret was. So he thought about it for a second, and his first guess was, is it a cookie? <laughs> no, buddy, it's, it's not a cookie. Uh, second guess, do we get to watch a movie? Uh, nobody. And you start to see my kid, what my kids value based on their first two guesses. <laughs> These are the high points of their life, treats, shows. That's what it, that's what it is. Uh, and then his third guess was he goes, oh, I bet it's just a new house. <laughs> just a new house? Really? Wow. I didn't know. Uh, that was not what the surprise was, by the way. I, I want you to know that. But can't we all get there sometimes where we can take for granted the things that God's given us, the blessings that he's provided for us, and it's just a new house or just a job or just three square meals a day or just the fact that we have air conditioning, right? And so it creeps in on all of us. And what we must understand this morning is that living a life patterned after Jesus, it does produce gratitude, period. And gratitude is powerful. And so I would challenge you, if there isn't gratitude in your life, are your, is your life patterned after the life of Christ? Because it says that as we're rooted in him, we will overflow with thankfulness, right? And so I was reading about a study as I was preparing for this message. And the study, it was back in 2017. And they took 300 adults who had all um, basically come to a university mental health center to seek counseling. And so of those 300, one group just received counseling, which was kind of standard best practice on how they would approach helping walk them through their issues. The second group, in addition to counseling, they also basically were asked to write about their deepest thoughts and feelings about the negative experiences they had walked through that led them to seek counseling. And then the third group, in addition to the counseling, they were asked to write one letter of gratitude a week for three weeks in addition to the counseling process that everybody else was going through. So they took these three groups, they walked them through the full experience, And then what they did is four weeks later and 12 weeks later, they had them come back and they evaluated where they were at. And so compared with the participants who wrote about the negative experiences or only received counseling, those who wrote the gratitude letters reported significantly better mental health four weeks after and 12 weeks after. And what's really incredible, and this is is what I want to make sure I I communicate clearly, is that the results were striking when the researchers compared those who wrote the gratitude letters with the other two groups because they actually went in and did brain scans of their, basically what's called the medial prefrontal cortex. So that's the part of your brain that registers gratitude. So they use these fMRI scanners to look at their brains. And they actually had a greater capacity to experience gratitude 12 weeks later. So it wasn't just that they were more thankful. Their brain actually registered the ability to be more thankful than they were before. And so the idea of expressing gratitude verbally or written actually changes your brain chemistry. Overflowing with thankfulness, right? As we're rooted in Christ and we overflow with thankfulness and we walk it out, it's a self-replicating cycle where then all of a sudden we can be more thankful to then express thankfulness, to walk in a greater degree of thankfulness, right? So this is one of the greatest tools that God has given us to walk in freedom. Because we live in a time, as I mentioned before, when entitlement and a victim mentality want to grab all of our hearts. 
I mean, they are the spirits of this age in so many ways. But one of our greatest tools as believers to walk in freedom from those is overflowing with thankfulness. If we can do that, they'll guard our hearts. What's interesting is that following that portion of Scripture, the next thing that Paul digs into right away is he's warning the church in Colossae not to be taken captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. And the philosophy that threatened that church specifically, it was kind of an interesting mix of early Gnosticism, which I know you guys have talked about a little bit here, but also Greek philosophy, local mystery religions, and a bit of Jewish mysticism. So it was kind of this hybrid that they were creating, which we see a little bit of today, where we take all these different things and we create our own belief system based on it. But what was interesting is that what was dangerous, what Paul was saying was dangerous about this belief system for the people in Colossae was not that it was allowing them to live in flagrant sin. That wasn't the issue at all. It was actually that it was so high sounding. It sounded noble. It sounded virtuous. You know, it seemed intelligent. But the problem was it didn't have any power to bring healing or redemption. It didn't have any power to walk in freedom from sin. It didn't do what the gospel message can do. And so what's interesting is that this connection to early Gnosticism is clear from the way that Paul, bring forth his, Paul brings forth his points. Because, you see, Gnosticism taught that God, who was a perfect spirit, could not come into direct contact with the material world. And so Paul is abundantly clear that not only is Jesus God, but he came to the earth in a body. So he lived in flesh, so clearly he came into contact with the world. So those two truths can't align. And Gnosticism also taught that since God could not have direct contact with the material world, he actually didn't create it. So Gnosticism believed that God used lesser beings or angels or spirits to create the world because he couldn't come in contact with it. And yet back in chapter 1, you guys talked about this in verses 15 and 16, Paul takes care to show that Jesus was not only the Son of God, but he was also the Creator God. So that he created the world, which immediately diffuses this philosophy that they're walking into. And so we may not have the exact same struggle today. Gnosticism may not be the main thing that's coming after our hearts. But you better believe that we are just as vulnerable to the ever-changing philosophies and ideas and traditions of our world. I don't, I don't know about you all, but who has noticed that culture seems to be rapidly changing today? That things seem to be accelerating in the world around us in terms of what people believe and what they value. And I'm telling you, as our culture blurs the lines in almost every area of consequences, that's why the scriptures implore us to be deeply rooted. That's why the scriptures implore us to be continually built up in him so that we can become increasingly established in our faith on something solid, something that's not going to change, something that's not going to adjust based on what's happening culturally around us. And it's also why being connected in real relationships and biblical community is so important. I'm telling you, on our own, if, if we begin to walk this Christian life on our own, even if we get off 1% a week each week over and over again, pretty soon we're heading at 180 degrees in the other direction. But that's why you have to be around people who love God and who will hold you accountable, who will challenge you. Staying intimately connected with others helps guard your heart because they're going to notice when you get off. They're going to notice when your life doesn't align with the word and say, hey, come on back. This is what's true. Remind you of what's true. I mean, just this week, on Wednesday, I was meeting with a group of guys that I've met with almost every Wednesday since 2010. That's 13 years. These guys, do you think they know my story? Do you think they know if I get off? Do you think they challenge me? Yeah, absolutely, because I need that. Listen, life can get tough. But this week, we were studying in 2 Corinthians 
we were holding each other accountable in the area of purity. We were challenging each other in how we pursue our wives and how we take care of our, the, our family's hearts. That we were challenging each other. And I'm telling you, a place like this, to be honest, a place like a life group to get challenged, it's what every one of us need. And so if you don't have one, if you don't have a life group, you need one. I'm just more and more convinced that we're not going to make it if we don't have a community around us who's really holding up our arms and who's really inspiring us to live the life that God's called us to. And so now that we've taken care not to be deceived by these hollow and empty philosophies, now we get to dig into the reality that we can be made complete in Christ, which that is good news. And I'm telling you, Paul said that this is a fact to be enjoyed and a power to walk in, not something to be earned, not something to be strived for. He's saying this is what Christ accomplished. And so I would say we have to take a moment. Let's rest in verse 10 for a second. Verse 10 says this, and in him you have been made complete, which in the Amplified says achieving spiritual stature through Christ. And he is the head over all rule and authority of every angelic and earthly power. And another version says this, you have been brought to fullness, not halfway. Jesus didn't bring you half the way. He has brought you to fullness because Jesus is the head over every power and authority. He did the finished work on the cross that gives us the opportunity to be healed whole and free. And in fact, verse 11 in the word is clear that your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off. So everything that was on you and of you before Jesus, it gets, gets to be put off. And then it says basically that then it has been buried with him in baptism. And then you are raised with him through your faith in the working of God. And so when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive. God made you alive in that moment. And Christ forgave all our sins. He canceled the charge because we had a debt against us, as the word is so clear. And then he literally nailed them to the cross. That's powerful, guys, that he literally disarmed the power, the authorities that had, had dominion over us because of the debt we had. He canceled those, nailed them to the cross. And he says, now you have the opportunity in me to walk in freedom and to experience the life that he promised that we could live. And you see, Jesus did what we couldn't do, what we still can't do on our own apart from him. Recently, I had the opportunity to lead a mission trip to Honduras, and we were able to take 24 young people, 24 college-age students, and it was an incredible trip. But what's interesting is as Angela and I were praying about whether I was supposed to go and lead this trip, uh, we also felt like we were supposed to pray about whether my oldest son, Malachi, was supposed to go with me. You see, missions is a big thing to our family. We believe that everyone in the church, every person of faith is called to be involved in missions, whether to go long-term, whether to go short-term, or be someone who sends and prays. Everyone's in, everyone should be involved in the, global, the Great Commission. Um, and so for us as a family, we began to pray, and we felt like the Lord put on our hearts that it was time. He was eight at the time, which was a stretch for our hearts in some ways. It was risky. It felt vulnerable. It felt a little scary. But we prayed, and we felt peace. It's time to begin this process. And so we actually uh, submitted his passport application early March and wrote the support letters, and we began to go through the process. We began to really go to the team meetings and, and pray into the trip. We began to coach him on what it's like to be on a mission trip. We began to teach and instruct him along the way. The trip was supposed to be or is in early May, and so we had, in theory, we had plenty of time. Here's the problem. Five weeks go by, six weeks go by, and instead of receiving his passport in the mail, we received a, a notice from the government that said, hey, his social security number was not on the application, which we know it was, but it wasn't according to them. So we quickly fill that out. We overnight it. We send it back. And then we begin to realize, hey, this is kind of risky. We don't know if this is going to happen. So another week goes by, another week goes by, another week goes by. Still no passport. 
And at this point, Malachi began to ask some really tough questions. Hey, if you and mom felt that I was supposed to go on this trip, what happens if my passport doesn't come in? Hey, if, if those people felt led to sow financially into my trip, what, what does that mean if my passport doesn't come in and I don't get to go? And so we got to have a lot of really amazing conversations about what it looks like to be obedient and faithful regardless of the results. Because we're not in control of the results. That's not our job. Our job is to obey. Our job is to walk out our part and trust God for the rest. And so what a powerful moment for an eight-year-old to go, okay, I'll do my part, you God, God, and I'll trust whether you want to open the store or not. I'll trust whether you have a path for me to walk or whether I'm supposed to stay. Either way, you're still in control. So we're having these conversations. We're beginning to do the work. I'm, I'm literally calling the National Passport Office. I'm on the phone for hours trying to talk to someone. I mean, it is a wild ride. Don't do it. It's, it's, it's painful. It's the closest thing to purgatory I've ever experienced. Um, but seriously, so I get on the phone with, I get on the phone with uh, this guy, and I literally spent 20 minutes talking to him. I asked every question you could ask. And by the end, I said, so you're telling me there's not a single appointment available in the continental United States in the next two weeks. He said, yes, sir. I said, okay. I'm sorry that this is your job. And then I hung up. (laughs) Because think about it. That dude has to get on the phone with people all day long and has no ability to help them. I really was empathizing for this guy. I probably need to send him something. But, But seriously, at that point, I was in a place where I realized I'm just gonna have to trust God with this one. I cannot bring this passport to my son. I can't do it. I have no ability to do it. So I was sharing this story in our finance office with one of the ladies who helps with all the mission stuff. And someone else from the office overheard our conversation. He said, hey, did you know you can reach out to your state representative's office and they can help you with things like this? I said, no. So I mentioned it to Angela because my schedule was full. And so she was gracious enough to call Fitzhill's office. Not Fitzhill. Fitzhill's here. (laughs) French Hill. Forgive me. I saw Fitz this morning. Listen, Fitz will get stuff done. You call Fitz, he'll fix things. Thank you, Fitz. I'm just kidding. So she calls French Hill's office, and I'm telling you, she got on the phone with this lady named Maha, who was amazing. Once this lady heard Malachi's story, she goes, oh, no, he is going on this trip. She just ran through walls for us. So she started making phone calls. She started sending emails. She's she's worked on our government for over 40 years, and she knows some people, if you know what I mean. So she starts pulling every lever. Literally, Angela's texting, calling with her all day Thursday, all day Friday. Literally on Saturday morning, she's calling and texting Angela on her day off. Like, hey, I'm on it. We're working on it. We're going to do our best to overnight it. Hopefully, we'll get this thing done. Monday morning, 10.30 a.m., that passport showed up. Before Tuesday morning at 3.45 a.m., we left for the airport. So less than 24 hours to spare, that passport shows up. It was what a lesson for that little boy's heart of believing in God and seeing him show up. And what's incredible, you guys, the thing that I didn't expect, there was a lot about the mission trip with him being there that I expected, but what I didn't expect was how many incredible Holy Spirit conversations happened because he was there. So he wasn't necessarily the one up on stage preaching the gospel. He wasn't necessarily the one facilitating all the conversations when we went into door-to-door evangelism. But him being there, he, a father and son being on mission together, activated so many conversations with pastors with locals, with the team about fatherhood, either about their experience with their dad or their desire to be a dad or their desire to be a better dad. And he, over and over, I would have these conversations with him and just say, buddy, just so you know, 
that conversation that just happened wouldn't have happened without your obedience to come here. It wouldn't happen without your being willing to be uncomfortable and to go out of your comfort zone and to come on mission. And the other lesson I think that we all have to realize is this. Angela and I had no power to get that passport. There was nothing that we could do. There was no amount of money you could spend. There's no amount of phone calls you could spend to get it. We had to find the person who had the power to make it happen. And you guys with us and with our sin, that's how it is. We have no power to be made right with God. We have no power to set ourselves free. But when we can get to Jesus, he has the power to move the needle. He has the power to change how we think and change how we operate and change how we walk. He can do the work. And here's the thing is once that happens, we begin to be rooted in Christ. We begin to grow in maturity. And then finally, what happens next? Then we can be sent. You see, God didn't just come. He didn't send Jesus just to set us free, just to make us whole, just to establish us so we can overflow with thankfulness for our own benefit. No. He came then so that we can grow in maturity, connect with him, and live on mission for his name. You see, as you grow closer to Jesus, an interesting thing happens. It's an interesting thing happens. You begin, to, you begin to have the same desires that he does. You begin to crave what he craves. And the thing that Jesus wants the most is for other people to be reconciled to him. It's for other people to hear about how much he loves them. And we, get to, we begin to be able to participate with him in that. So what's interesting in verse 6 is in the Amplified Version, uh, it's interesting, it says this, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in union with him, reflecting his character in the things that you do and say, living lives that lead others away from sin. So what does it look like for us to live lives that lead other people away from sin? Well, first... We live lives of freedom and purpose. We stay connected in biblical community. We walk out what it looks like to know Jesus. But second, we have to begin to pray and step out in conversations to engage people spiritually, to hear their story and look for opportunities to share the gospel. That's how we live lives that ultimately leave other people away from sin. In all seriousness, there are people all around us that need someone to care enough about them to walk across the room and start a conversation. There are people every day that you rub shoulders with that I don't rub shoulders with, people that I cannot meet, people that I cannot engage spiritually, that ultimately God has placed you in their path. I think about a conversation I had a while back. I was on a trip and was, I was working out in a gym that I'd never been to before. And as I was working out, one of the personal trainers came up and, and just struck up a conversation with me. You know, a young guy, he was actually from Australia, which was fascinating because I just, I didn't know a lot about Australia at the time. And so I began to share a little bit of my story growing up in the U.S. And he shared some of his story growing up in Australia. And it was just really interesting to hear the similarities and the differences. And about 15 minutes into the conversation, I just felt that prompting from the Lord, hey, it's, it's time to swing it to the spiritual. So I just asked him, I said, hey, growing up in Australia, what was that like spiritually? Did you grow up around the church? Did you grow up with any kind of belief system? What do you believe about God? And he just proceeded to share that he didn't have a belief system. He had never been to church. He didn't believe in God. And because of that, I'm telling you, he, based on his story, he was running after the things of the world hard. And so I asked him at that moment, I said, hey, do you mind if I share with you what I believe to be true, what I believe the Bible says about eternity? He said, not at all. And so I shared the gospel with him. I took the time to explain to him that he was created and designed to have a relationship with God. That was his original design. I got a chance to share with him that each one of us have taken the life that God gives us and we do our own thing. We say thanks, but no thanks, which is just called sin. And that we've each broken God's law at thousands of points. And by breaking that law, 
ultimately that separates us from God and keeps us from being in relationship with him. And, and if we stood before God on our own merit, that we'd be guilty, which just means we'd spend eternity apart from him on our own in hell. And then I got to share with him the hope of the gospel of why he sent Jesus and what Jesus accomplished and walked him through all that. And at the end of the conversation, I said, hey, does that make sense? And he said, man, that makes a lot of sense. And you could just tell that he was paying attention. There was a seriousness in that moment. And I said, hey, is there anything that would keep you from making a decision to surrender your life to Jesus today, to making him the Lord of your life? And he said, honestly, yes. He said, I just, I don't think I'm ready to stop living the way that I live. I don't, I don't think I'm ready to give up my lifestyle. And I said, I understand. I get that. I said, but if you, if you get to the point where you are ready and you're, you want to make a decision, and then I walked him through what he would do what it would look like to bow his knee to Christ, what it would look like to begin to study God's word and plug into biblical community. And I left him with that. We prayed, exchanged information, and I went on. Didn't think much of it. You guys, literally a year later, I got an email from that young man saying, I'm still thinking about the conversation that we had, which opened the door for me to continue to share hope with him and to talk with him about Jesus. You see, the results of spiritual conversations aren't our responsibility. I don't control whether that young man makes a decision for Christ. My responsibility is to be obedient, to step into the arena, and to love him enough to hear his story and to share the hope of the gospel with him. That's all of our calling. And so throughout this morning, I believe as we have studied these 10 verses in Colossians, I believe each one of, this, of us in this place were challenged somewhere. That's the power of God's word, that we can all read the same verses, and yet for each one of us, those verses are reading us differently right? So I believe for some of you in this place, you are realizing that maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, that ultimately you, you may be aware of God. You may even believe that he's there, but that you are still calling the shots and you're still on the throne of your life. And my encouragement to you is during reflection time this morning, talk with him, bow your knee to him, surrender to him as savior, as Lord. I believe that some of you are realizing that it's time to get rooted in Christ, to begin to abide in his word, to begin to spend time with him daily and take that step to connect in real biblical community. You realize, you're realizing that to walk out your calling that you have to be built up. So my encouragement to you is that during your reflection time, talk with Jesus about this. Ask him for help. And then before you leave today, my challenge is to find a pastor or a leader to talk with about getting connected in a life group. And finally, I believe that there are some of you that are being hit with the commission that as a follower of Jesus, that you're called to start looking up, lifting up your eyes to see the lost around you, that you're feeling compelled by God to step into the arena and begin to have spiritual conversations. So my challenge to you, if that's the case, is that during your reflection time, that you'd ask the Holy Spirit to begin to stir this burden in you, to give you eyes to see people's need for a Savior, to give you the courage, the margin, and the energy to engage people in spiritual conversations in your everyday life. Let me pray a moment and then we're gonna jump into this reflection time and Bronson's gonna lead us in that. Lord, we, le we love you. We need you. God, speak to our hearts exactly what you wanna speak to us this morning. We give you this time of reflection um, and we need the next step that you have for us, oh God. Let's just stay in this... Uh moment of reflection and prayer. If you're comfortable, just hold your hands out in front of you. It's just a posture of receiving, an openness to God. 
The worship team's gonna come forward. That's what the marching sound is. But we'll just stay clued in. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Open our eyes to see. God, help us abound in thanksgiving. That we once were dead because our sinful nature was not cut away. But then God made us alive. God, return to us right now the joy of our salvation. I want to encourage you to just take a moment, if you're a Jesus follower, and just go back to the beginning. when you first met Christ, where he found you. And I just want you to take a moment and reflect on the ways that he's transformed you and grown you. And just right where you're at, and you just quietly say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. And God, right now, we just bring before you our sin. The areas in our lives right now that are not like you. And God, we thank you that you've canceled the record of sin and the charges against us and you've nailed it to the cross and you've disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities in this world, and you've shamed them publicly. God, right now we just confess, not as people who are bound by sin, but people who are free from its tyranny. If you're in a place right now where it's all heads bowed, all eyes closed, you'd say you've just never tasted that freedom. And, and maybe as Pastor Aaron outlined for you. You've been your own authority. I just want to ask you a simple question to reflect on. How is it working for you? Could God be calling you? Could God have a better plan for you? And lastly, I would just want to pray over a commissioning. If you're in a place where, as Aaron started hitting being sent and having those conversations, you, you want more of that. Like you want more boldness in that area. I just want you to hold your hands out in front of you. And I just want to bless you and pray over you. God, I pray for every person here who loves you, who's called by your name, according to your purpose. God, I pray that you give us eyes to see the things that you're doing. God, help us see the world the way that you see it with its goodness and its brokenness. God, give us your eyes to see as we have conversations. God, give us sensitivity and give us patience to walk with people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.
Hey guys, thanks for listening in. I hope that this message blessed you and it helps you in your journey with Jesus. If it did, leave a comment, leave a review. Things like that help us spread the message of Jesus. Uh, if you want to connect with us, the best way to do that is to follow us on Instagram at, at NLC Downtown Little Rock to follow along with the life of our church.